0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, war vet B.J. Gannam helps raise money for wounded vets through a star-studded NFL flag football game, Super Bowl broadcasters Al Michaels and Minnesota's own Michelle Tafoya and Vikings legend Carl Eller. But before we get to the Super Bowl coverage this week, continued problems with the state's vehicle registration and titling system, MinLARs, were again front and center at the state capitol this week as the Dayton administration made an announcement that had Republican lawmakers fuming. MNN's Bill Werner has been covering that story.
1: Scott, officials with the state's IT department said, and Governor Mark Dayton agreed, that an additional forty three million dollars over and above the ninety three million already spent is necessary to fix problems with minlar's plus make necessary enhancements to the system the IT department's chief enterprise architect Joan Redwing says
2: all of our high priority defects and gaps that were addressed by the stakeholders will be delivered by July of. Uh, end of July of 2018.
1: Dana Bailey, the department's Executive Director of Projects and Initiatives, says about the funding request.
3: It's not an easy number, but it's a necessary one. I recognize this is a big number added on to an already significant cost for Minlar system development, but it's also important that we recognize the significance and complexity of this undertaking. The private sector is not constrained by arbitrary deadlines and has the opportunity to test new concepts before launching major projects. And unfortunately, the state was not afforded either of those options when implementing this large-scale IT rollout. I make this point not as an excuse, but as a reality that adds to the complexity of this project.
1: Republican reaction to the request for additional money was swift. Representative Paul Torkelson from Hanska chairs the House Transportation Finance Committee
4: shocked by how much money they're asking for when they told us last year before rollout that they had all the resources they needed and that the system would be functioning uh, with maybe a few glitches, but they would be able to fix those and have the system up and running last summer. Uh, When I called the administration, they denied that there were really any problems for months. And now all of a sudden, after they've actually taken a look at it, they've come back and demanded another 43 million dollars or they will start shutting down some of the functionality of the system. I just I am shocked. On Torkelson's point about shutting down
1: functionality of the system, Project's Executive Director Bailey says they told lawmakers.
3: Unless we get a commitment uh, to, to, to work together on what that funding stream looks like, we will need to do a hard ramp down starting on March 1st. This means that we will have to tell the contractors that are currently working on the system that we no longer have any funding to pay for their contract.
1: To avoid that ramping down of the project, how much of the $43 million additional do they need early on in the 2018 legislative session?
3: It's not all of it, but it's you know, we'll need a we'll need a chunk of it in order to staff up. Minute We'd like to hire up on DPS in order to provide the customer service that we need, knowing too, that real ID is right around the corner. And so we want to give people the information that they need to have in order to get their real IDs or enhanced driver's license. So we need to work on that with the legislature. What does that number look like early in session? Um, I'm not going to throw out an arbitrary number. We need to have that conversation with them.
1: Representative Torkelson's reaction on the timeline for funding? She said, need a chunk of it fairly
4: early on in the session. Yeah, I take that basically as a threat. Uh, I don't accept it.
3: It's a tough sell, but it's a necessary one. And I know uh, how difficult this is uh, for Minnesotans, not just because of what they're not able to get out of uh, their driver and vehicle services offices um, and from their registrar that they're used to Um, but it's an you know I mean it's a necessary number and unfortunately it is at this point our only option there is no product to buy off of the shelf if there were something that we could buy off the shelves we would have done it by now but it just doesn't exist the bones of the system of the Minlar system are good and we believe that we can build on those bones and add that functionality and, th- and fix the gaps and modernize the system. And this is the way to do it. This is the best, best path forward. And that's what we're here to do. Um, I understand that everybody wants to, we want an explanation too. Um, that's completely understandable. Uh, I understand that the legislature wants one and they deserve one, and so do the deputy registrars, and so do the taxpayers. And our job is to move forward and fix this, and that's what we're here to do.
4: We need some answers before we can possibly think about throwing more money down on this, so we we need some very serious answers. And as far as outside vendors go, they told us the same thing about the driver's license portion of MINLAR's last year during session, and lo and behold, after session was over, they went out and hired an outside vendor. So I just don't necessarily buy that they have properly evaluated that option.
1: There, of course, is a concern about um, Real ID and the October of 2018 implementation deadline on that. Uh, what's your level of confidence that they'll be able to deliver on that, Mr. Chairman?
4: As far as Real ID goes, uh, luckily they've hired an outside vendor to take to work on that project, and I have confidence the outside vendor will be able to get the work done.
1: Scott, it is a good bet this issue will be one of the first flashpoints between Republicans and Democratic Governor Dayton at the start of the legislative session. The stakes
0: made higher, of course, because it is an election year. One will be watching closely. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. back to Minnesota Matters. There have been plenty of events surrounding Super Bowl week in the Twin Cities. One main hub is at Bloomington's Mall of America, where media camped out for several days ahead of the big game on Sunday. MNN's Bick Smith caught up with a wounded war vet who was in town for more than just Super Bowl 52.
5: Scott, B.J. Ganim is from Wisconsin. He and other wounded war amputees played in the annual NFL alumni flag football game at Concordia College in St. Paul this week. Former Viking greats like Chuck Foreman, Carl Eller, and others were part of that fundraising event. We got a chance to learn more about B.J.'s story and what he sees facing our country these days.
6: Tell me about your military service. I served with the United States Marine Corps. I was an infantryman. I served active duty. For a time i uh, got out in 2000 took a job with Kraft foods here in the midwest and then but stayed in the ready reserves and then obviously 2001 and then we were activated in 2004 to go to iraq uh thanksgiving night of 2004 ied roadside bomb takes my leg kills my gunner ryan Cantafio out of beaver dam and uh ended my military career and that was a tough pill to swallow but uh through help of family and organizations like the Five Fund, the Wounded War Empty Football Team, um, you know, I was able to get back on my feet, find some purpose again. I uh, changed from a business major to a uh, uh, social work. So I have a master's in social work from the University of Southern California, with an emphasis on military life. I got my uh, veteran service officer accreditation through the VA, and instead of being a platoon sergeant in a line company in an infantry platoon, I'm. Uh, you know doing still in the same role but uh helping in the transition side and helping vets kind of find their way um back in life i mean once you've been exposed to uh war and what how little freedom people have outside of america you really appreciate what this country offers um and it's just helping people find their way to really connect and um figure out a way to give back to society because that's one thing that all of us have in common is that we don't want to be seen as victims we want to be seen as um you know we've overcome something we uh gave something to our country and we still have a lot more to give to our individual communities as well
5: bj it seems like we're always trying to articulate how important it is that people know what guys have done when they served, what they went through, and how difficult it is to transition back into American life afterward. From your own standpoint, mentally, um, is there anything that you can tell us that, uh, that, that might help our understanding of, of what it's like
6: to do that? So the hardest thing, it's not like we're afraid. Or there's a, We saw so many horrible things. What it is is that when you're in the military, you have a squad. You have a platoon, you have a fire team of support, good, bad, or indifferent, and we're not handpicked, you know, we're just kind of thrown into a group and we figure it out. In America, it just seems like people are too quick to, to, to be responsive, um, reactionary, if you will. And then when something really gets sticky, they stick their head in the sand, you know. Um, so that's, that's the hard part, and you think since 9-11, we've only had three million people serve in the 16-year war. You have 330 million people in this country, so the hardest part is coming back. And we may be one of maybe 12 people in a in any given community that has served, or sometimes even less. So it's really hard to find that connection again. And when people first hear that you served and that you're in war, that you were injured, you know, there's immediately this pity party. Um, And I don't pity us; I pity the regular Americans that. Uh, just don't see how great it is here or what the potential is. Uh, you know, we have a lot of people complaining right now, but not a lot really doing anything. If you look at the participation at the local level within government, uh, you look at the participation within state level, whether it's voting. You know, the President of the United States is just one position in this democracy. And this democracy doesn't work unless we all do our part. And it's, you know, it's not enough just to hold a sign. And complaining about this or complaining about that, you have to do more. You have to do your part every day uh, to make your life better. And in turn, if everybody focused on that and allowed everybody else their space, their own individual liberty, we would solve all of our problems. It doesn't matter what law you put into into context on a state level or on the federal level or on the local level. If you don't have 100% buy-in or at least a majority buy-in or an overwhelmingly... Um, enforcement it's not going to do anything and we've got to look at some policies uh how we police ourselves why do we have three million people locked in prison um and i often tell people it's not so much the people that are doing the job it's the systems that they're having to employ it's why the va is failing it's not so much that the people in the va care but the way the system is designed is antiquated And so we need to be able to understand that tradition is one thing and how things were done in a previous generation is okay but we have to constantly evolve and that takes more than just complaining that takes activeness that takes participation and that takes sometimes um you know doing things that is for the better good of the whole country and it doesn't really suit our own individual interests.
5: That's B.J. Gannam, a wounded war amputee who appears and speaks at motivational events around the U.S. Gannam offers this quote, Everything that has ever meant anything in my life comes from putting myself in uncomfortable and hard situations. Scott?
0: Thank you, Bick. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Amid all the distractions this week leading up to the Super Bowl, the NBC broadcast team arrived in town with a game to focus on. I sat down with broadcasting big shots Al Michaels and Michelle Tafoya to talk about how they prepare for the big game.
7: There's no question that uh, you wake up in the morning and it's all you can think about. And then you get to the game and you can't wait for the game to start. And you know, it's a long afternoon even before we go on the air. So it's, uh, there are butterflies. It's not nervousness. It's uh, anxiousness. You want it to get going. Can't wait for kickoff. Then you just want to start cleanly. And once the game starts, uh, you know where you are. But it, you, you've been there so many times. And I've probably done 700 NFL games. It's not like any other game. You know that. But you have to do it like you do any other game. You can't do something differently in the Super Bowl just because it's the Super Bowl. You know. <laughs> It's, it's almost like the Belichick thing, do your job and let the game come to you. We go in there with so many stories, so many things we can talk about, any statistic you could ever want. But what you have to do is wait for the game to start and let the game take you to where you have to go. As opposed to you saying, hey, let me I have a great story for you and it's not your main to the game. That's the key.
0: What do you think is the big story of the Super Bowl?
7: Well, there are always a lot of big stories. I mean, to me, it's just the overriding thing is kind of, it's the dynasty against, I guess, the underdog is how you'd put it. So we all know about New England. We all know how great they are. Uh, It's almost unprecedented in this era when the rules kind of mitigate against this type of thing happening with the salary cap and the way the draft is constructed and to see what New England's done is amazing. So here they are burnishing their legacy again. Uh, but win or lose that legacy is intact against Philadelphia You know, a team that uh, has had a pretty good amount of success through the years but never been to the mountaintop so that's clearly one of them Nick Foles of course is a great story Brady is a great story period on on any level I mean 40 years old and having the year he's having so No matter where you look, there's always something to talk about. The matchups in this game are great.
0: Can you talk a little bit about being here in Minnesota at U.S.
7: Bank Stadium? What do you think of the stadium? I think it's terrific. Uh, We walked in here last year. We did the first regular season game, which was Green Bay against Minnesota. Uh, We came back for a Thursday night game. We did Dallas and Minnesota last year. We were here for a preseason game. I think they did a tremendous job. And I think Chris and I were talking uh, the other night about... um, if we had to name the two best stadiums in the league, I'd say Dallas and Minneapolis.
0: What did you think of the Minneapolis miracle call, which was somewhat an homage to your miracle on ice call?
7: Yeah, I think that was uh, Paul Allen on the radio. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, and I think Joe Buck did a great job, too, uh, calling it on, on Fox that day. It just caught the emotion of the moment. So, you know, the Minnesota Miracle, Minneapolis, whatever it was. I didn't copyright that, so f- feel free to use it.
0: Michaels talks about what goes into those iconic calls and whether or not they're planned out ahead of
7: time. I just make sure I don't. It's real simple because if you script the call, it sounds like it's scripted. And the problem is you don't know how a game is going to end. I mean, I've had a chance to do Super Bowls, a couple of them that ended either on the last play of the game or very close to the last play of the game. Kevin Dyson almost getting into the end zone in, in 99, one yard short. The Rams won the game. Malcolm Butler's interception. I can't predict these things before the game. I mean, they just kind of happened. And with, with Butler, you know, I was able to you know, call the play, and then my, my uh, inner being said, this is unreal. And that's the word that came out. That's It was unreal. Uh, so you have to let your, your emotion take over at that point and uh, pretty much, in a way, call it with your heart and not your head. Any predictions on the game? You know, you go into a game like this and all you really want as a broadcaster is for it to be exciting, dramatic, close, memorable plays. Uh, we've had a few. You know, one of the interesting things about this game is you've got two guys in the game who I think were responsible for the two most dramatic defensive plays in the history of the Super Bowl. James Harrison's 100-yard return for Pittsburgh against Arizona back in Tampa in 08, and Malcolm Butler. And now they're both in the game, both playing for uh, New England, of course. So uh, there's so many different ways to look at this, but I always wanted to do the first overtime Super Bowl. I was not a happy camper last year when I saw that coin flip. I'm sitting on my couch at home going, wait a second, this should be our game, not theirs. Especially after it was 28-3, to 3. so um, the only thing left now is to do the longest game in the history of football, so I want to see it go to Triple OT.
0: Do you call games when you're sitting at home on the couch, or are you quiet about
7: it? No, I'm, I, I'm not calling them. I mean, I'm mean, i sitting there by myself, and in my brain I may be thinking about what I might say uh, at a particular point. I don't put the actual words together, but I'm sitting there pretty much just absorbing the game, you know, watching the production techniques and all of the rest, but uh, no, I'm not calling, I'm not doing the play-by-play, I'm off on on those Sundays.
0: Minnesota resident and sideline analyst, Michelle Tafoya talks about what it means to be broadcasting the big game from home.
2: I lived in California till I was, I don't know, 27. Grew up there and everyone of my friends and family that I've left behind says, why are you in Minnesota? So I want them all to tune into this game to discover why. And they can say, oh, but it's cold. And I will can say, yeah, but I have a place I can walk into, and I have a, you know, a coat. Uh, oh, but it's in the Midwest. Yeah, these are some of the greatest people you're ever going to want to meet. Oh, but this and that. I mean, it's funny to me that, you know, I remember I was going through a medical thing once, and someone said to me, I don't know about the doctors you have out there. Do you think that, you know, maybe you need to come back to L.A.? And I said, Have you heard of the Mayo Clinic? I mean, there is so much richness to Minnesota that people don't know about. And in some ways, we kind of prefer it that way, you know? But, because we're kind of in our own little place. But I am so proud of what happens here on a day-to-day, year-to-year basis that I'm really excited that people get to see more of it and see how dang beautiful the stadium is. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful.
0: And of course, most of us will be watching Al Michaels and Michelle Tafoya, who will be broadcasting from that stadium on Sunday. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Former Vikings great Carl Eller is serving as an ambassador of sorts for the Minnesota Super Bowl this week. Eller started as part of the famed Purple People Eaters from 1964 through 1978, playing in four Super Bowls with the Vikings. In fact, he's one of 11 Vikes to have played in every Super Bowl game the team has played in. Of course, the Purple lost all four of the big games, Eller was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2004 and into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2006. He was a six time Pro Bowl selection and a seven time All Pro. Eller was also an All American for the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers, helping lead the team to its last Rose Bowl appearance in 1961. As we lead up to the big game between the Eagles and Patriots, MN M&M Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Eller on Super Bowls Radio Row and the Mall of
8: America this week. Carl Eller, Football Hall of Famer, former Viking, and a former Golden Golfer joins us here on the Minnesota News Network and I I guess let's start uh, how exciting is it here to uh, have the Super Bowl in the state of Minnesota
9: well this is great you know I know I'm having fun here and uh, people when we talk about the Super Bowl we go hey it's big but uh, you know it's like Super Bowl big is a different standard you know and I don't think people are necessarily prepared for that but it's really exciting You played in the big game four
8: times, Uh, knowing from your experience there, and I'm talking about the game itself, but all the hoopla surrounding it, what was it like then compared to what we see now with, uh, you know, 120 radio row tables and everything else?
9: Well, it's a lot more. Obviously, it's bigger and it's more organized, and, but it had its impact in those days, too, because it went worldwide. We had guys, different languages, you know, and stuff like that. So it was big for its time, and uh, it certainly kept up. It's even bigger. You know, it's one of the biggest things that goes on anywhere. You uh, played, as mentioned,
8: in four games. Let's talk about your memories as a Minnesota Viking playing in the Super Bowl.
9: Well, you know, you get to the Super Bowl and you play and we really felt like we had a really good chance to beat the teams we were against, you know, Kansas City, Miami, Steelers and finally the the Raiders but those were great teams you know they played us and uh, they were able to get the best of us on that day but I think those things really motivated us you know to come back and to prove ourselves and we still would uh, like to have a championship for the Minnesota fans and the Vikings fans everywhere but you know it just wasn't to be but it was a great honor to play in those Super Bowls.
8: How much do you stay in contact with your old teammates whether it be the purple people
9: leaders or other position groups too? Well, I see the guys. A lot of the guys are still here in the area, like uh, Jim Marshall, and Alan Page, Chuck Foreman, you know, a lot of those guys are here. Tingle Hoff, you know, uh, uh, Studwell. A lot of those guys are still here. So we see those guys, and that's fun to get together. Uh, you know, I actually go to the games. I like going to the games. and. Uh, I'm a big fan so.
8: What's it like still when you walk around a place like this and you see people that are football fans that remember you as a player and uh, maybe they come up and say you know uh, they remembered watching you what's that like Uh, knowing that uh, hey you know it it
9: was a while ago but you're still in their uh, fond memory bank. Well you know I respect that and it's not something to uh, take lightly you know it one of the things, you know, when I played, I wanted to play that people would know that I was given my all and my best. And, and so when they come up and say, hey, Carl, I remember you, or I'm a fan, or my grandpa or somebody was a fan, you know, that, that really makes me feel good. It's a big thrill to hear that.
8: You were also a Golden golfer for a couple of years, won a national title with Minnesota. What are your memories of, of wearing the maroon and gold?
9: Well, those were great memories as well. You know, we went to the Rose Bowl. We beat UCLA in the Rose Bowl. We were national champs a couple of years. You know, were great days. Murray Warmoth is a coach, so I've had nothing but great success here in Minnesota. It's been a fun place to live. I've continued to live here. My family's here. You know, and um, well, I just love it. The fans are great here. That's what's beautiful about the whole place.
8: Do you still? You know, you mentioned you stayed in touch with the Vikings teammates. Do you still
9: stay in touch with some of those old Golden Gophers too? I don't see many of those old gophers. There are some around. I see Sunday. Of course, he followed and went to the Vikings as well. You know, so I see him and. And uh, there's a couple of guys I can't even think of right now. One of the tight ends. He's gonna he's gonna curse me when he sees. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. Um, who do you? Uh, what's your uh, synopsis
8: of the game this weekend? The Patriots and the Eagles. What do you think?
9: Well. It's obviously going to be a great game. There are two great teams coming in, you know. The Eagles obviously played very well. They have great capabilities, as we saw, you know, in the game against us. But they're going against a Formula pro, you know, with Brady and Belichick and all the rest of his guys. It's going to be tough, you know. But I think they're up for the task, and we could probably see, I won't say an end to the uh, Patriots' uh, domination, but I think they'll have a tough time walking away with this one.
8: Always great to see you, Carl Eller, Hall of Famer. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Minnesota
9: News Network. It's my pleasure to be on with you.
8: That's Carl Eller and Mike Grimm on
0: Minnesota Matters. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.